Welcome to the Swamp Flex Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. And I'm Brittany Lombas. Brittany, on a Lanyap episode? Surprise. You're encroaching <laughs> on enemy territory here. <laughs> I'm everywhere. <laughs> I planted myself in all segments of Swamp Flex. Right? <laughs> Just spreading out. <laughs> I actually asked you to be here as a favor to fill a gap in my schedule. Yeah. And I'm also doing you a favor because we're talking about Lifetime movies today. I have been having the films <laughs> we're going to talk about today in my back pocket for like well over a year, Brandon. And I'm like, I always like have a couple of things like stowed away where I'm like, when is the right time to like make everyone watch these movies? So whenever you mentioned like, oh, like what, what would you like to do? <laughs> like immediately was like, <laughs> bam, this. <laughs> uh, I will say just for the record. You know, we take turns picking topics. If you just want to pick Lifetime movies as a topic every single time it's your turn, I'm not going to stop you. It might. I mean, I have, but there's like different realms of Lifetime right, movies. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you can really get in the weeds. Yeah. And I've been like keeping a good list. So yeah, I think I might do something like that next time too. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Have you been watching anything but Lifetime movies lately? No. No. Good. Um, <laughs> so we're going to be talking about two very, very like important lifetime movies today and after watching those on 2b tv i was like brought like two other movies that fall in that lifetime realm and this is like when lifetime was lifetime television for women mm. like can you hear the commercial in your head when i say that lifetime television for i did women. not have cable as a kid so <laughs> i didn't have lifetime in my life my mother was like in the car it was magic when a 1.9 mm-hmm. all the time at home it was lifetime all the time okay <laughs> so i've seen like all these movies so much so there's two films that i was recommended <laughs> that i got into on tubi one of those movies is a film called fatal charm from 1990 this one kind of struck me because amanda peterson was in the film and she is the star of can buy me love and i don't think i ever that I can recall I've ever seen this movie before. So I watched it and it was a very bizarre plot. So she, her mother is like dating this guy and she's like still like a single mother, but the boyfriend is in the home and Amanda Peterson is like a teen and she like has a million sex dreams and just wakes up all sweaty. Like in this movie, (laughs) every time she's in bed, she's just like drenched in sweat and having a sex dream but the person she's fantasizing about is a convicted rapist that's on the tv oh weird it's weird like she makes a comment in the beginning where she you know they have they have his trial on tv and this is like you know the early 90s there's televisions in the kitchen while you're eating breakfast and she's like how would a guy that dreamy have to rape anybody like literally says that and then her mom's like um because that's what rapists do. Like, this dude's a piece of shit. And she just, like, fantasizes about him. Like, she thinks he's so hot. She, like, sneaks out to, like, go to his trial just to, like, see him in real life. And then she starts, like, writing him. That's some John Waters shit right there. It's crazy. Yeah. And then she starts, like, writing him in prison. And then he's in prison. Like, this movie has an interesting, like, divide where it's, like, her obsession with him. And what he does is he just, like, rapes women and, like, chokes them out and kills them. And in her mind, she like she says a few times, like, oh, he's innocent. But, like, you know, she knows he did it. And that probably turns her on in some weird way. It's super weird. But he goes into prison. And it's so ridiculous because every prison stereotype is, like, thrown in there. Where, like, 
all of the black guys in prison gang up on him because he's white. And then the white guy comes in to save him from getting killed by the black guys. But then the white guy's like, now you owe me and makes out with him. Weird. And he eventually like escapes prison, but he's forced to escape prison because like the prisoners that are escaping grab him. So the whole time you're like, it's weird. And he has like, he portrays this innocence about him while he's in jail in all these scenes. And then like, he ends up in the back of a car while he's an escaped con. And these people are like, hey, let's go like make out and have sex in this car. And they don't know he's in the back seat. And the minute they start getting it on, it's like the rage comes over him. And it's like this, this like monstrous thing just explodes. And you're like, oh, wow. Like, here it is. Here's like the monster this dude is like finally showing. And he kills them. And then he goes after her because he has her address. Because right. she's been writing him. And then like finally when they see each other, like it kind of clicks where she's like, uh, this dude's kind of scary. And then he starts to chase her and try to kill her. I like this premise for a couple reasons. Oh, okay. One is that I think the Lifetime audience, from what I can tell, is pretty, like, widespread version of, like, just most women. Where, like, there are a lot of people who have, like, sick fixations and fantasies about serial killers in particular. And, like, you especially see that right now with, like, true crime podcasts are, like, very popular. Yeah, Um, there's, like, you know, um, I would bang Jeffrey Dahmer t-shirts and weird shit like that. Or even when that show You came out a couple years ago and everyone was like really oh, into still, Penn Badgley. It's still playing. Yeah. And Penn Badgley had to be like, um, this guy's not a heartthrob. He is a serial killer. <laughs> uh, so I like that. But also, I feel like Lifetime keeps alive a couple of genres that mm-hmm. don't exist otherwise anymore. Um, Psychobitty movies, something that you'll see still made on Lifetime and aren't like in the theater anymore. Yes. And also the erotic thriller in general. Like, mm-hmm. hard to see those in the theater, but... It seems like Lifetime kept that tradition alive longer than it was oh, in the mainstream. Oh, for sure. Lifetime is, like, whenever the movie Gone Girl came out, that was essentially, like, shit Lifetime's been right. doing, right. like, since, like, the 90s but and with late movie 80s. stars again. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I don't know. This one was just weird because you have, like, the kink to it where it's, like, I mean, people feel whatever. And I'm, like, that makes sense. But then it also pushes that reality, like, just that moment where she realizes, like, oh, fuck, he's totally a rapist and fuck this guy yeah it's a fun taboo to like fantasize about but you don't necessarily want that to happen in real life which is most kinks like you like to play pretend but you don't want to actually do a lot of the stuff that you're like fantasizing about right and i think like what kind of makes her also come to terms with that is like her mom it's a very uncomfortable scene but her mom works at like the courthouse and they find out like she's writing him and she's like his pen pal and her mom like finds all her letters and like gets all like the um the women who died and were gagged and stuff like their photos of their dead bodies and like oh. makes her look at him it's like look what he did jesus so i watched that and a little bit of a lighter film after that but not really light just more comical i guess is what i'm thinking of it's a film from 2000 called the deadly look of love that's the look the deadly look, look of, of love. love. Is that ABC? Yeah. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so before um, we started recording, Brandon um, was helping me try to find the title of this film. Because I'm like, you know, there's a movie I watched and I was telling you about the plot and like we could not find it. And what made me think about it is Holland Taylor was the um, lawyer in the film. And I remember her because she was... Ursula Stanhope's mother in George of the Jungle. <laughs> so that that's how I found the title of this movie. 
Also, I just watched her on that show, The Chair. She's like very funny as Joan on that show. I haven't seen it, but she's I like a um, cutthroat, floozy college professor on like a Yale campus archetype. Oh my God. Uh, she's the best part of that whole show. Amazing. What's her name? Holland Taylor. Holland Taylor. Yeah, she's very cool. So this movie, I <laughs> I liked a lot, and I'll explain why because you have to know about the ending of it to understand why I really enjoyed it. There's this girl. She's got like short bobbed hair blonde she's very innocent and she talks like this and is very whimsical and her sister is like this beauty queen who's getting married and stuff and all this girl wants to do is like be like her sister and just get married to the love of her life that's like all she wants fantasizes about it and she is having sex in a motel room with this project manager that she works with and she's like, can you just please take your wedding ring off before we have sex? It makes me feel weird. <laughs> right. I don't know. Like, she wants to be obsessed. Like, she kind of, like, has obsessions where she's like, he's going to, you know, leave his wife for me, blah, blah, blah. I'm obsessed with him. And he's just using her for sex. It's kind of like he's making, he's using her and, like, making a mockery of her. And then as she's leaving the motel room, this guy in a Corvette that's kind of, like, handsomer than the other dude um almost runs her over and is like whoa are you okay and she's like yeah i'm fine and then it's like this meet cute moment and she's like oh my god and she like falls in love with him because that's all this girl does is like she just falls in love with people and is obsessed and they kind of have this like little rendezvous and um there's this really weird scene where she's eating yogurt and reading like a sexy romance novel on her break and then she spills yogurt all over herself. And then she tries to like wipe it up, but she just smears it all over her pants. And then he's there and she goes to shake his hand and it's full of yogurt. What? And then he like shakes her hand and then he like licks the yogurt off his hand. Sick. It's so gross, but great. So then she starts a fling with him. And then it, you know, he makes a comment because he's friends with the guy that she was sleeping with before. And, you know, they're talking while she's not there and he's like i told you she was good blah blah blah. and then he's like i have to leave it's business you know don't stop being you i'll see you again and then she moves to chicago because that's where he works because she's obsessed with him right so she moves there and like they have a relationship but he is engaged to the super rich chick and she doesn't know that so once again she is like the mistress in the situation like she's obsessed to where like she can't like comprehend any reality and what happens is is his fiance gets brutally murdered like a hundred something stab wounds and her charm bracelet that she wears that has the wedding ring of the other married man (laughs) that she was sleeping with got the wedding ring because she burned him alive in the motel room oh forgot to mention that yeah and her charm bracelets at the scene of the crime where this dead fiance is. So the guy is like, Oh no, like it's all my fault. She's crazy. You know, I never should have slept with her. She's obsessed and she killed my fiance. And it turns out that like, he was like written into her will his, cause they had just gotten married. I apologize. They were married for like a week before this happened, before mm-hmm. she got killed. And he was like written into the will. And Miss Holland, the, lawyer is like representing this young girl and is like no like he wanted her to get framed for this so he planted the charm bracelet because she had one 
and that was like a copy of one of the charm bracelet and like he did this so that she could get blamed for it and he can go scot-free with this like 10 million dollars because he was written into the will of his super rich wife and (laughs) during the court case she's cross-stitching while she's sitting down and it says like i forget what their names are but it has her name and his name forever yeah yeah (laughs) and he ends up getting convicted. Wow. And he didn't really do it. Wow. <laughs> she did it. And at the end, she has like the wedding ring from his like, um, his wife. And she's like, car- she's like scratching out the inscription of like her name on it. That sounds more like my speed, like the psychotic woman, it's fatal so attraction, good. single white female, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's yeah. Like she plays that character, but she's super like bubbly and sweet and right. innocent. That's great. Um, and it's just super funny because, like, all the the guy before and him, they're basically like, yeah, like, we're just going to, like, fuck this girl and she's obsessed with us, but whatever. We'll just have sex with her and have, like, no repercussions for our actions. Right. And just, like, use her. And it's just kind of, like, funny, like, how it kind of turns out. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's very Lifetime. What did the title end up being again? The Deadly Look of Love. I will say, like, scrolling through just now trying to figure <laughs> out the title of this one. It was just overwhelming how many of these movies exist. Oh, tons. And getting the title straight, like, uh, no, it's not obsessed. It's not passion <laughs> of the deadly kiss. It's not. <laughs> My deadly obsession. Right, right. Like, all these <laughs> They're, all like, names. almost the same title over and over again, but not quite. <laughs> like, I imagine it's very difficult for a Lifetime movie super fan to remember, like, their favorite movie that they watched 20 years ago. It's uh, like, I just remember the actresses. Right. It's always the same ones. And some, I don't even know their names, but like, if it's not Delta Burke and Judith Light, it's like, you know, Tiffany Amber Thiessen or some, or this woman. I feel like Tori Spelling was one of the big ones in my time. Jordan Ladd. Oh yeah. Tori Spelling. Co-ed Call Girl. I actually did see that one. Death of a Cheerleader. Yeah. That's true story. Mother May I Sleep with Danger. Yeah. I've seen Classic. that one. Yep. <laughs> I feel like most of the ones I've seen star Tori Spelling for some yeah. reason. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have not been watching Lifetime movies myself. What have you been watching? <laughs> uh, I have a couple movies from this year, because I've been doing kind of like a best of the year catch-up thing. Both of the ones I watched recently were about psychotic women, though. Oh, uh, just yes. not in the same way. Okay. Um, one was this movie, Censor, which is this like very buzzy British horror film. Ooh. Um, I didn't love it. Oh, is it like the woman who like writes censorship for films yeah i saw this you saw it yeah it's like the um video nasties era of like british Mm -hmm. uh gore films um she's on the editing board which i remember reading about video nasties a while ago and like one of the complaints was that they didn't actually screen the films they would just like base it off of the poster and title uh whether or not it was suitable for children or suitable for sale um so like the fact that they spend so much time in this movie, like taking notes and like actually going over scenes and images from You're these like, films, Is that accurate? yeah. <laughs> but what I had to like do watching this was like stop caring about that. Like, <laughs> the movie's actually not really about video nasties and censorship at all. It's no. about this one woman's like broken brain, uh, <laughs> and I guess if there's any connection between those two things, it's like they were warning that the movies would distort the sense of reality for audiences who couldn't like handle the like moral ambiguity and it would make people more violent and over the course of the film this censor who has a mysterious disappearance of her sister in her childhood and her past 
um, her borders between the images she sees in the movies and what's real and what's memory um, break down and she kind of goes psychotic. And um, I will say the ending is so good. Like the last 15 minutes of this are fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I understand how people watch this at film festivals and like walked away like, wow, that was a really stunning film. I didn't think it was that great <laughs> overall. It was, I thought it was like a, it was like treading water a lot, waiting for that really cool ending to happen. I thought that the scenes were cool, but not something that I would, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm so focused on my, my list right God, now. God, I agree. That I'm like, God, like that's not even going to tip like a top 30 for me. Me neither. But it wasn't, but it doesn't mean it's bad. It just wasn't like my cup of tea all the way through. I hate. That this is my attitude this time of year. Like, I go into movies with my arms folded. Big old snob. You better be on my top, like, (laughs) end of the year list countdown or, like, why am I even wasting my time on you, you know? I could have made this space for even better movie. I know. Such a snotty attitude. Yeah. And I understand, like, how in a film festival this would play way better. Because, like, I just wrapped up New Orleans Film Fest this week. Saw about six movies, but... I remember in past years when I would actually go to the theater more often, I'd see like a dozen movies in a week. And it's this like thing where like after a week solid of like only ingesting like sub professional indie films. Yeah. Like you kind of forget what like a real budget looks like and that like professional sheen that you expect in films. And you go in this like whole other headspace where like it's really much easier to focus on like ideas and like the things about movies that work. And, like, you you were, like, kind of rooting for them to do these, like, big things. I think maybe if I had seen this at Sundance when, like, everyone was, like, really raving about it, I might have had, like, a better reaction to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, watching in this, like, best of the year context did not help it at all. (laughs) No! (laughs) It would make a great short film, though. I really do feel like those last 15 minutes are, like, fantastic. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of movies that would be better as short films. Mm -hmm. That I I don't know. I just feel like the... The tone of that movie and the pace of it is like becoming so common, and I'm like, it's it's like it's not bad. It just gets boring right. at, at parts, and then like the all the fun stuff happens at the end, like that neon cross lighting, um, and like the oh, uh, yeah. VHS aesthetic so cool. of like the gore stuff. Like, yeah, a lot of buzzy horrors all have kind of the same look to them right now. Yeah. Well, what else have you been seeing other than that one? I saw a movie with no buzz whatsoever. Ooh. Um, it also isn't like something I'm going to rave as like one of the best of the year or anything, but like I liked it a lot for something that has no traction whatsoever. Yeah. Um, it's called The Mad Women's Ball. It's on Amazon Ooh. Prime. Oh. Um, it's directed by Melanie Laurent, who um, she's a French actress. Uh, her probably most famous role is uh, Shoshana in Inglorious Bastards. She's like the one that runs the movie theater in that movie. Oh. Um, but she's also directed about like seven feature films at this point, which I have no, I have idea. no idea either. This one is a period film. It's set in 19th century France. Um, this woman is kind of this like intellectual and like she's really into like literature. And also she can communicate with ghosts. Uh, she calls them spirits. But like she sees like the you know spiritual remains of like the past hanging around and like can you know, act as a spiritual medium with like people. I'm so who are glad alive. I don't have that gift. Yeah, it's a terrible gift, especially at this time, because her father um is embarrassed by her and has her committed oh. to a mental institution. Oh, no. Um <laughs> so I like this movie a lot. It's it's like kind of cool after, you know, October to watch a ghost movie that's not horror at yeah. all. Like it just kind of takes her skill to communicate with the dead seriously and like 
it doesn't try to depict the ghosts on screen. It doesn't try to scare you. It's just like is one of those things where like this person is different um, from the norm. She's not marriage material, which is like the kind of woman that would be committed to a mental institution, whether or not it benefits her in any way at that time. There are a lot of other dramatic cliches once she gets there. Like it reminded me a little bit of Cosi and oh. Girl Interrupted and Unsane. Like pr- pretty much any like mental institution film you've ever seen before. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But it's like really well performed. Uh, it's got this like wide cast of characters that are like all treated with respect. Uh, all these like committed women are all like people that each of them could have had their own movie. You know, this sounds really cool. I think you would like it. Um, and it all culminates in this big ball, like the title, the mad women's ball is this like annual event where like the local wealth class was allowed to enter the institution grounds. And this is the part that reminded me of Kosi. It's like an audience comes in and watches them put on a ball oh, wow. um, and like a masquerade, apparently a real thing that happened at these places and real Whoa. fucked up because if you can imagine what the wealth class would do when alone with, um, people who were imprisoned, Especially women. I'm not oh, going to complete God. that thought. Uh, yeah. It's very dark. That is wild. And it's a, it's a somber film, but I don't know. Uh, I think Melanie Laurent, like, I think people say this anytime an actor directs movie. Like, she has a good eye for performances and, like, character work. So she, like, really makes each character, like, shine. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it had this really cool cross-cutting effect where, like, as things were happening in the prison, um, she would, like, aggressively cross-cut with images of things happening at the same time outside the prison. So you get these like two parallel stories and then they mm. converge at that big ball at the end um, where like the whole situation blows up. Oh my God. It's pretty cool. Sold. Yeah. If, you, if you're looking for a good like somber costume drama with a bunch of like difficult women, that's a good one. I'm there. The highly publicized case about the woman who shot and killed her ex-husband and his second wife in the bedroom of their home grabbed a lot of people's attention, including Meredith Baxter's. If it frightens me, it interests me. I should be doing it, I think. She plays Betty Broderick, a well-bred, well-educated socialite married to a charismatic million-dollar-a-year malpractice attorney. They became the storybook couple, but their story turned into a bitter and deadly saga. I do have a question about what qualifies something as a Lifetime movie, because I'm just going off of what Wikipedia says about today's film. Um, okay. It originally premiered on CBS, uh-huh. and then it hit, I guess, later would like heavily rotate on Lifetime? Is that... Heavily. Okay. So it becomes a Lifetime movie through repetition, more so than just originally right. premiering on there. Yes, that's a very good question, because you're right. It did initially. It's made for TV film. Both films we're going to talk about were made for TV movies, 1992 premiered on CBS, and then somehow made their way onto Lifetime and were played on the Lifetime cycle, Okay, which is where I saw it many, many times. But what makes a movie a Lifetime movie for me is you have to either have, like, a woman who is a maniac, who is a killer, a woman who is, like, a victim of something that overcomes it in some way, some psycho bittiness. Yes. And just like anything that, I don't know, I I don't want to say I sound cheesy for like empowering women, but just kind of like women can be in any of these roles. You know, we can be the bad guy. We can be like a victim. We can also like be someone who like finds their way through life, 
from being a victim like is just you're not television for women brandon yeah you're not just the uh <laughs> girlfriend or prostitute or kindly mother like exactly you actually have like a media role to play in yeah. the like central narrative so my favorite kind of lifetime movies are ones where and i kind of brought this up earlier too before we started recording um like the gone girl type you know where the, <laughs> the woman is the bad guy <laughs> i always love that um, and a lot of these women who are the villains in these Lifetime movies are super campy. Like, their whole characters and personas feel like something, like, drag queens can, like, quote and perform on stage. It's, like, very mommy dearest. I think this one hits all these marks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Th- this one, this one's really a knockout if those are the criteria. Yes. If someone's unfamiliar with Lifetime movies and they want to tap into it, this would be the starter. And it is 1992's A Woman Scorned, the Betty Broderick story, starring Miss Meredith Baxter. So just to kind of give a little bit of background, this is a film that is based on a real life story. So it and a lot of Lifetime movies do follow this. It's a lot of based on a true story, loosely based on a true story. So this is based on Betty Broderick. So Betty Broderick was a California socialite and mother who murdered her ex-husband and his new younger wife in 1989. Um, Which is so crazy because this movie was like filmed in 1992. So this was still fresh on everyone's mind. I was watching an interview um, with Meredith Baxter on the set and the narrator, like the local news anchor who was interviewing her said, you know, the movie has this working title till death do us part. But it may change depending on the outcome of the tr- of the second trial. So they were filming this movie while the second trial of her was still yeah. undecided. So they were like really on top of this. So I'm glad you mentioned that because there is a shift between this movie and the second part that we're going to talk about that has so much to do with that. More recently, Netflix has this series called Dirty John and their second season that is on now or like the most recent one was like the betty broderick story and what's so weird is that the netflix one makes betty look like this kind of like ditzy like kind of you know very like to herself type woman who's kind of timid and that is in no way shape or form like a Betty Broderick in real life or Meredith Baxter's Betty Broderick. Yeah, because you can watch her testimony on the stand on oh, YouTube yeah. and she is not like a mousy <laughs> housewife at all. No. I thought maybe Meredith Baxter is like um, performance is a little over the top and then you watch her on the stand and she is <laughs> nailing it. <She's- laughs> it's like her to a T. Yeah. Um. So something big to think of as I'm, I will kind of go through the, the whole, you know, plot of the film, but something to think about is at the time that this happened, there was a big divide where some people thought like, wow, like good for her. Like she's empowering to us. Like, you know, her husband left her for the next young thing and she did what needed to be done. And they kind of looked at her as like this icon in a way, like some people. And then some people were like, Oh, she murdered two people. So there's this like weird divide And this film, like, there are certain parts where I'm like, it plays into part of that. And then some where it doesn't, it kind of, it kind of is more balanced. I like that, though. I think it, like, gives her a lot of nuance and, like, a lot more to chew on than if she was just, like, 
a simple revenge story. Right. So Betty Broderick, played by Miss Meredith Baxter, in probably the role of a lifetime, I think. Um, <laughs> she is so good in this movie. Yeah, she's really fun. So she is this like California socialite, and her husband is this huge, like well-to-do, well-known lawyer in California, and they are fucking filthy rich. But they weren't always like that. So they didn't have all this money always. They were married when they were younger and she supported him and kind of put him through law school and kind of held down the fort. And then now she's the socialite stay at home mom. And, you know, he is just winning a shit ton of high end cases or high profile cases. And from the beginning of this movie, like, She's not the most likable character at all. Like, they go to this, like, ball together. And, like, her husband, twice he wears this fucking vampire outfit where he has, like, a cloak that's, like, red satin and, like, a top hat. Like, he's, like, just trying to make it a thing, I guess. And they go to this party. And he wins, like, a really, really big case. And to celebrate, one of his, like, colleagues is there with his wife. And he's like, I got you guys two tickets to Paris. And we're going. And they're like, oh, my God, wow. And um, Betty's like, when, when is this? <laughs> Next weekend? That's what my manicure appointment is. <laughs> <laughs> or like he gets her like a um, a, a jewel, like a, uh, earrings or like a wedding for Christmas. for Christmas. And she's like, that's not the one I picked out. It's so great. <laughs> and he's like, this one's, this one's just as good. She's like, no, well, it's not the one I wanted. <laughs> right. Which I get to an extent because he buys whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. So I kind of understand. She's obviously got this chip on her shoulder from the years that she put in uh, to get him there. Right. But it's funny how it also plays like she's just this like sourpuss who hates this marriage and should get divorced. Well, they make a comment where they're like, she's been wanting to get divorced since y'all got married. She's miserable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So... What happens is, is he's kind of going through a midlife crisis and in his office, this new young secretary starts and her name is Linda and she is played by um, Michelle Johnson, who is in Death Becomes Her. She's like the girl at the plastic surgery clinic, uh, the okay. nurse that has like the like Swiss or French accent. Um, that's the only thing I've, I've seen her in. <laughs> and I'm like, gosh, she looks familiar. So she's super young, kind of, you know, fresh, bubbly, and she's help. you know, she helps him with his work and then also other stuff like, hey, I really want a Corvette. And she like helps him find this Corvette. So, you know, he's got the young secretary, the Corvette, he's going through a midlife crisis. And once Betty gets wind of this like new young secretary who's been hanging out with her husband a lot, oh man, she starts to fucking spiral. And he comes home for his birthday and she's like, where were you? And he's like, I had to work late. And she's like, liar, liar, pants on fire and has all his clothes soaked in kerosene. Lights him up. And lights him on fire. And her kids are watching. Yeah. And she does not give a shit. So this is like that first step into that just madness territory that she goes into super fast. And she becomes obsessed with like the fact that he's sleeping with his secretary where he hasn't admitted to it there's no proof of it it's likely that they did i like that the movie doesn't really confirm it though it because doesn't. it doesn't matter if they've already had sex she already her sees mind, it's where done. it's going uh -huh. and she's right 
Like, he does eventually marry yep. her, so she just, like, noticed the momentum. Which pisses her off even she, more, because she, she has, fucking knew. Right, and she has no power to stop it. Yeah. It's just going that way. She has no facilities to, like, stop him from, like, blowing their marriage up. So that's kind of, like, the next phase, right? He's like, I don't think this is working out. And then they get divorced, and then he marries the young secretary, and she loses her shit breaks into his house multiple times vandalizes his shit just breaks shit like she breaks through a window like she's banging on the door and she's like huh i guess i'm just gonna break through a window (laughs) and then like breaks into the house and just starts you know spray painting everything breaking all kinds of stuff she calls him like 40 times a day to harass him she drops her kids off at his house to be like well you take care of him now and then she i mean she kind of just becomes this like narcissistic manipulative like monster and i say that because she uses her kids as pawns which is like the worst thing somebody could do um but it's funny in a film context because she's so chipper when she talks like even when she's berating her children and making them sound bad (laughs) or making making them feel bad she like says it in this like like, i mean they're gonna have a baby and they'll forget about you (laughs) but mommy's always gonna be here (laughs) when daddy doesn't love you and they're crying (laughs) Yeah, the kids are, like, <laughs> devastated, but she never breaks character. Like, she's always kind of chipper and, like... <laughs> Except for there's this one scene that I love so much where she's on the phone and she's calling and she's like, where are you? Where, where are you at? You're fucking whore, huh? Mm-hmm. And the little boy's on the on the stairs playing with his toys and he answers the phone. He's like, mom, can you please stop calling and saying these things? And <laughs> she's like, you little traitor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fine, you can stay with your dad and his whore. <laughs> The kids complain and he's is like, like crying. Mom, you haven't said anything nice in two years. <laughs> like all she says is like upsetting shit. So that's like this is where she becomes like you know mommy dearest to me. Like the number one thing it reminded me of is not mommy dearest. It was actually it? problem child, um, because it's like a series of pranks that she keeps pulling. They're violent pranks. Violent- <laughs> But like she's junior, she is junior. Like her burning his pants and saying "liar, liar, pants on fire," or like like, driving her car through the house. Exactly. Like it feels like um, wish fulfillment for um, divorced women (laughs) who like you know feel wronged by their exes. Like it's something you feel like you should be able to do, but you can't. Um, And it's like um, in Problem Child, you're like, oh, I wish I could like you know spray paint my principal's (laughs) office and take a shit on his desk or whatever. (laughs) And she's doing it all. She's doing it. So. I like that. I find it, like, funny in a campy way. Right. But, like, knowing that this happened in real life, it is kind of disturbing. (laughs) And here's my thing. Like, I know that I should, like, what made me really not have as much sympathy for her is, like, she was, and this is true, she was getting, like, $16,000 a month in alimony, which is equivalent to, like, almost, like, $28,000 a month, like, today. Right. And I'm like, oh, my God, like just take the money and like move on you know it's not like you know he was like i'm gonna take the kids away from you and i'm not gonna pay you it's like you had the kids they got taken away because you were being crazy but the thing is though Mm -hmm. and i understand i think i think you're right and the movie especially the second one like really makes fun of her for like like blowing up how abused she was by like being divorced but i kind of get where she's coming from and their divorce case was actually like national headlines oh, before totally. there was like the violence the the case broderick versus broderick because 
there was this whole generation of women who were raised to be wives and like make sure you have a successful husband they'll give you children and like that's your lot in life that's right. what you're going to college for is to meet men at college who God, are going to be lawyers and she did everything correctly to make sure she had this like wealthy life for herself and this man divorces her once he gets to that position after she's been the one like pulling all the weight until he gets through school he gets in the position to be successful and then even though she's getting all this alimony he's still way wealthier than her right and has the perfect life that she was promised and she can't let that go no like it's not enough just to have enough to live comfortably it's like i want i earned what you have like you owe me that and like i think that's why she is like a quote-unquote feminist folk hero in these movies even though she does awful shit is like, it's not fair that he gets all the benefits from that. Totally. Um, So it plays both sides like really hard, but where she loses me, Brandon (laughs) is when she buys a gun (laughs) and then like steals the key to her husband's house from her daughter and then uses it to break in and kill his wife and him while he's sleeping. That's where I'm like, I don't know if I'm like a hippie or something, but I just don't think there's any time where you where killing someone is justifiable. No. And like, it blows my mind that so many women are like, until this day, like, I mean, I'm reading comments of people like on this film and they're like, you know, she built that man. And I'm like, yeah, but like, she also killed a Shot woman <laughs> oh, who has too, yeah. nothing to do with it and like ruined families and like ruined her children's life and like took both parents away from like three kids. I don't know. I'm just like, I just think, like, a lot of it was just her narcissism. Like, I'm going to fucking show him. Like, she was just so set on being, like, I want the last word. I'll show him, like, you know, who's in charge of this. Yeah. And I can take it away as, as much as I gave it to you. Kind of craziness. It's um, it's more fun when you can consider it as an erotic thriller or, like, a, um, like a 90s, like, revenge thriller. It's and, great if you don't think about it being a true story. Right. And, like, especially the way she antagonizes the new wife. Like, very funny that, like, she surprise visits the kids and the kids are like, you know, whatever her name, Sharon or Katie made dinner. Linda. Uh, Linda made dinner. Uh, look at this beautiful food she made. And then she spreads the dinner all over their bed and, like, wardrobe. <laughs> Very the funny. Cream pie. <laughs> yeah. Very funny, like as a problem child style prank on your um, uh-huh. ex husband's new wife. But <laughs> in real life, like if that happened to me, I'd be like mortified. It's also, I love the scene where it's her daughter's graduation and she has like that disposable camera. Uh, that's great. She just keeps aggressively taking aggressively photos of Linda. in her face until like Linda's like backed up into a corner. <laughs> I swear there's a humor in that performance. Like, it has to be intentionally funny. It's so funny. Well, the thing is, I didn't know. I grew up watching this just thinking it was, like, ridiculously a good time. Because I didn't know it was based on true story. And it just hits different. But it's still funny and good. So... The, the film ends here, and then there is... It ends is, with her shooting them. It ends with her <laughs> shooting them, and then they're like, Betty Broderick was, fa- you know, found a guilty on two two counts of, like, second-degree murder. She was sentenced to, like, 32 years in prison with the possibility of parole in, like, 2011 or something. And it ends with that, but there's a part two. So this, I think, was released in May of 92, and the part two was released in October of 92. So, like you were saying, like, the trial was really, really fresh. So, the second film is just fucking trial. Trial City, baby. And the performance in the second film was 
um, impacted a lot by what you were talking about earlier. So to prep for this role, Meredith Baxter was reading through the actual court transcripts. And at first, you know, Meredith Baxter is like, I kind of really empathize with this woman and I felt horrible for her. But after I read all the shit that happened in court, whenever I read the testimonies from her kids, when I read the testimonies from the psychiatrist that evaluated her and from, you know, the family of Linda, like she's like, I just like made a 360 and realized 180 or shit. Yeah. 180. <laughs> Whoopsie. And she <laughs> and realized like, I really don't feel sorry for her. Like I did before, because like I said, there was that divide. It's like, you're either team Betty or you're like anti Betty. And then she moved towards that. And it's really portrayed. Like she, she really did a good job of like tapping into like how Betty Broderick was when she was on trial. And this, like when the the real her started to come out and people were like, wow. Yeah. Like, she's like a narcissist. So I watched these in a row, the same way that I watched Willard and Ben in a row. <laughs> um, and it does the same thing as Willard and Ben. where like, the beginning of <laughs> yes. her final fury is the final minutes of a woman scorned. Yeah. And I swear they reshot that murder scene. At least it felt like they did because instantly the tone was just so off. Like her haircut was different and, and her then, like performance was just more serious. Yeah. And the way that she took the phone away and everything like those movements were very different too. Yeah. Yeah. And I will, I do think that gradually as the movie goes on, her personality starts to come out more where she becomes the uh, Betty Broderick that we know and love from the first film <laughs> and becomes this r- ridiculous camp character. Yes. But it's it's a long road back to that. Like, the first half of um, Her Final Fury is a lot more serious than any two minutes of um, A Woman Scorned. Right. And, like, this one, I was surprised. Like, at first, I'm like, oh, God, it's going to be a, a court trial drama which I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah, it's not as fun. It's not as fun, but there are like fun moments. Like whenever she goes into prison and she becomes this like celebrity and she's like, Ugh, got more fan mail. And, you know, they're like, you know, your lawyer's on the phone and you have to come here and blah, blah. And she's like, I'll be there in a minute. Like she kind of like becomes like this prison celebrity. And there's this like fabulous woman and one of the prisoners I can't like remember her name, but she like, (laughs) she's, I can't remember like exactly what she says, but she's kind of like pushing her buttons when she like comes in. Cause she's like, oh, here comes this like, you know, rich, rich bitch who's on trial. And then she just starts like kind of, you know, trying to get under her skin and like makes this weird thing with her tongue. Uh, Played by Lynn Shay. Okay. Love her. (laughs) Her and uh, Steven Root uh, plays like the dead guy's best friend. At work. Um, those are like the only two like, you know, pretty major celebrities that I noticed in these movies. Usually you'd be like, uh, they'd be like, oh, before they were famous. But even those two people aren't like household names, I don't think. I think the only other person I remembered in here was uh, Judith Ivy, who was um, Zelda in, uh, from Hello Again. Hello Again, yeah. That's really funny. <laughs> that's the only other big celeb. I will say, uh, as far as like the celebrity for being a murderer stuff goes... That does appeal to me, even though I don't normally like courtroom dramas, but, like, that's what I love about every Divine character is, like, she's always working the press and, like, bragging about murdering people. (laughs) And it's hard to find that in other films. Like, all of, pretty much every John Waters movie has that archetype in it. And then 
there's also Chicago, the musical. Like, that's a pretty big one is like oh, yeah. two women like murdering, getting pressed for it. And then I think the movie's downfall is uh, To Die For from 1995. Which is also based on true story. Also tr- true. Yeah. That is kind of the perfect version of her final fury. Yeah. And like, I was just watching this, like thinking like, I kind of wish I was watching to die for instead. Cause it's like a perfect movie. <laughs> and this one's like not as fun. Right. Cause yeah, you do spend a lot of time in the courtroom. I will say something that does work though, is um, the climax of the courtroom drama. You know, after we watch her like personality emerge and all this stuff, the um, prosecutor makes her relive the events of the actual, like, pulling the trigger on the gun and it's cross cut between her testimony and the um, footage of her um, shooting her husband and his new wife in bed. Mm -hmm. And I found that segment actually like very thrilling and like well done. Yeah. Um, It actually got my heart racing in a way that like even in the first film watching her shoot them did not at all. I don't know. I feel like there's this like lifetime quality to these movies where like, you're really invested in the performances right. and the women and the things that happen, like the drama of it. But you're not really invested in like how it happens. So like I could have been folding laundry or something and not really missed much, I think, for a lot of this. Like yeah. you can watch the screen about like 80% of the time. And, and you don't miss too much. You don't miss too much. And it's like Maybe um, some like funny moments. Right. But like, nah. Especially for something that's like, if you combine these, this is like a three- hour and 20 minute movie or something thank like that. thank you for taking the journey it's a lot <laughs> uh especially all at once yeah i mean i imagine with like commercial breaks it's like a whole evening you know i think you could have condensed these two movies into 110 minutes problem is that uh the second half like the courtroom half isn't as interesting as the uh problem child pranks half and like um i'm glad that they're separate because i could rewatch a woman scorn without having to deal with Ugh, the uh, courtroom it's half. so good but i will say one of my favorite scenes in like film is in this um the courtroom. Okay. And that is when her lawyer is defending her and he has these like placard photo cards and he's like and that's when Dan Broderick turned Betty from this and it's a glamour shot of her. <laughs> and then he pulls the glamour shot away and he's like into this and it's her mug <laughs> shot from prison. Sick. And it's so funny to me because it, it i one of my favorite documentaries is one that is based on eileen wernos and i feel like a lot of like betty broderick in prison taps into like eileen wernos a little bit even though i have like more, more sympathy for eileen wernos than betty broderick it's just very funny it's just it's ridiculous the way it's done like and what's so good about this movie is like it taps into like that ridiculous lifetime shit that I find to be like campy and funny. But then like it has serious moments like at the end when they're like, okay, Betty, like now we're going to like make the victim's families tell you like how you ruin their lives. Whoa. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh God, this is really sad. So it's kind of like it does. And like we said before, like if this was just like a lifetime movie based on fiction, it'd be funny as shit. Right full on but because it's like based on true story about people who are like really dead it feels kind of weird but like it's it's just done in such a cool way i kind of feel like that about all true crime stuff i'm not a true crime guy it's kind of like the difference between like i love professional wrestling i can't watch um mma Mm. or boxing really like 
the actual like blood sport of like people trying to concuss and like hurt each other like doesn't entertain me as much as like the pageantry of like the mm-hmm. fake stuff. Yeah. Uh and I, I get I, that. In general, like I don't I watch gory horror movies all day. I can't watch surgical stuff. I don't follow true crime stories. Like that that skinny white lady that disappeared earlier this year and everyone was like trying to like solve the mystery of where oh. her boyfriend was. Like I was just like, I can't wait for this two week news cycle to be over Ugh. so we can stop talking well, about to this. Me, like that was just so crazy because like I feel like with this true crime, I don't know what you call it, revival, everyone thinks they're a detective. And what was so annoying about that is like people were harassing the family of the guy like they were right. like on his sister's property and his parents like, like mob justice tell dog the bounty hunter came out of nowhere and was doing shit and i'm like i hate when people do that where i'm like shut up and go mind your own business You're and like leave involved. these fucking people alone like it must suck like to you know have your son potentially dead and him kill somebody just like let these people live their lives i think even though it is the more exploitative version. Well, actually, I don't know if that's true. It it might be the more exploitative version. Mm-hmm. But I think this, like, Lifetime movie version of true crime is a lot more palatable to me than, like, the new, like, gritty crime documentary version where it's, like, really, you know, like, I guess back in our day it would have been, like, Dateline 2020 like and, like, hard copy. And, yeah. Like, I, I'd much rather this, like, fictionalized, oh, over-the-top sure. version than, like... Same. Living like, in the misery and the morbid details of what happened in real life. I'm not, like, true crime obsessed. Like, I listen to podcasts and I read about it and stuff like that. More I think so, there was a Betty Broderick podcast from this year, too. Yeah. It's more so for me to, like... <laughs> as, like, a, you know, a woman who lives on her own... In, you know, potentially a very dangerous city. Like, it just helps me, like, understand, like, shit to look out for. Like, things that, you know, or, like, you know, just, like, understanding, like, what happened to these people and, like, what are potential signs, I guess. Like, I kind of, like, just look at it as a collective where I'm like, yeah, I'm not fucking doing that. <laughs> not doing that today, buddy. But it is unsettling, like, just the the weird obsessions that people have with it where it kind of is like in a it's kind of like disrespectful in some regard where i'm like i don't know like make making light and like being like that's my favorite serial killer and i'm like well i mean he killed somebody there's some victims i mean even me just now saying that like a skinny white lady was killed this year like that's pretty dismissive of like a real person who was murdered um but it was kind of turned into a national news story to be consumed and discussed and not like I don't know that anything about the victim, really. Or it was like, just weird how it blew up. Yeah, like, it why why out. her and not all the other women who disappear all the time? I know. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Not that interesting. I get it. <laughs> no, and then I can totally get all conspiracy with it, you know, right. and be like, oh, why did they pick her? What if she's not really dead? What if oh they, like, faked it? What if she's not a real person? Everyone has brain worms. People blew this shit up. They were like, oh, my God, she has tattoos in this photo. She doesn't have them in there. They're not the real person. But yeah, but anyway, like, um, you know, Betty, also Betty Broderick is still alive. She appealed like within the last year to get out of jail. She's not, not happen, out. But <laughs> yeah. She's, she's very guilty. Very guilty. <laughs> <laughs> something in to case, keep in like, mind. If Meredith Baxter didn't sell it to you, <laughs> right. we can sell it to you. She is guilty indeed. <laughs> she, she's 73, I think. Wow. She is eligible for parole in like 2032. She'll be in her 80s. And she's probably not going to get it. Right. But yeah, there's a lot of interviews with her. Um, Oprah did a huge one in, you know, the early 90s. 
You can tell she loves being on camera. Oh, yeah. She loves the attention. <laughs> but yeah, Brandon, so I am super glad that we got to watch these. Yeah. Because like I said, this is just like quintessential lifetime. Also, you know, we always talk about like what makes a psycho bitty a psycho bitty. I feel like she's got psycho bittiness in here. Yeah. I think you could make another movie now with her in the psycho bitty age range. Because some of the best parts... Would you get when Meredith Baxter play her again? Why not? But like some <laughs> of the best parts in her Final Fury were not the courtroom drama that eats up most of the runtime. It's her in jail, like demanding special treatment <laughs> yeah. as a folk hero. As like a diva. <laughs> and a diva, yeah. She's like, you know, I'm going to speak to the warden about this as if she's like a Karen asking for the manager, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and she's got the hair. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. But yeah, so how did you, how did you like these? I had to adjust my expectation for like what makes a good movie out of these because like <laughs> like i said i was like kind of looking for like some kind of like filmmaking style that like really only happens during that like cross cutting in, in like the second movie at the end mm-hmm. so like, oh this is actually like thrilling filmmaking but that's not what these are for and like i feel like when i talk to my coworkers a lot who aren't really like movie nerds the way i am they'll say something like um I just like a good story. I just want to see something that's a good story. They'll love this. And that's what these are. They're like kind of pure plot. Like, it's illustrations of things that happened. The performance really carries the whole thing. She is so funny and so sour. Like, just her misery with any, like, new (laughs) thing that happens is really funny to me. From whenever she lights his clothes on fire, pre-murder. It's just so fabulous. Oh, it's great. It's and, awesome. And then the murder in the first one's really fun too, because like it sucks and it's it's like a really harsh tone change. Like <laughs> it just ends abruptly after these two people are shot. And he's like has his his arms going up and is like, help me, and she like slaps his hand with Jesus. her gun and like takes the phone away just to make sure. I feel like I had been watching this like series of like pranks and then, you and then know, and then there was some so murder dark. and then it just ended. Um, like and, I'm trying yeah. to imagine problem child where you like shoot someone and like end credits oh, scroll. God. It's like, uh, it's a very, it's a very harsh tonal shift. And yeah. then the second one, it makes it even worse. Cause like after that happens, there's just so much effort that goes into like the news spreading that she killed somebody and then her like giving herself up to the police and then going on trial. And like, it's this like really slow build back to what made the first one so fun. So I don't know. I feel like if you were going to recommend this to people, I don't feel like everyone has to watch both of them. No, no, for sure. Well, that's the thing is like a lot of people are like, wait, there's a part two. No one's seen the part two. Oh, okay. Because it just wasn't as exciting, I guess. I, I always pull up movie posters um, whenever I just get, like, it's honestly just good as a diary for me. Like, I'll post on my Facebook timeline, like, I watched this today. Mm. Um, and the poster for this one was, like, a woman scorned, a two-picture, two-night event. So, like, the two movies together have been lumped in as, like, this one film. Maybe people think that they, like, saw one, but they might have seen both. If you go to YouTube, right, I mean, first of all, you shouldn't watch this on YouTube because it's on Amazon Prime and, like, this crystal clear HD, which is, like, perverse. Like, this is something you should watch on, like, a fuzzy VHS (laughs) (laughs) taped off the television. But on YouTube, if you look up A Woman Scorned, it's on there. Um, Several people have uploaded it, and it's, like, a three-hour video. It's, like, both movies sandwiched together. What's strange is that they both end with a Where Are They Now 
um, scroll that like tell like, you what happened. And it's like, we get it. Right. <laughs> we know where she is. I remember that from two hours <laughs> She's ago. She's in jail. Right. I know. It's the same thing. That's why a part of me, and I couldn't find that much about it, Brandon, but how at the end of the first film, it tells you what happened to Betty. Almost like they weren't going to make the second right, movie. Right, right. And like part of me is like, I really think they just intended to make that first one. But maybe because like it was such a popular thing happening, they're like, man, people will probably watch a part two of this. Let's th- let's chunk that in. And the trial had some theatrics to it, like the way that she was playing the press and the way that her lawyer was kind of like a carnival, you know, oh, ringmaster. And just like I, I don't have any exact quotes, but you know where you know the defense would be like, and that's when you shot your husband and killed his wife, and she'd be like, well, I mean. Look what he did to me. He threw me out like trash. I put him through school. <laughs> and that's how she is on the stand in real life. Yes. But like her lawyer like takes the family portrait of them together and smashes it <laughs> to show like the shattered glass for like effect. And that's when the prosecutor's like, oh shit, we're going to win this. Because <laughs> this guy's a He's fucking joke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, All his pre had a lot of props. I, I understand how like watching the trial, they've been like, well, we actually have a lot to work with here. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. But it, it does feel like trying to recapture magic. Like, the first one really is, like, magic lifetime filmmaking. Like, it really does deliver everything you want out of these in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Um, it's just when you combine the two that it becomes, like, kind of too much. Something that I forgot to mention, and I kind of talked about it a little bit before. I'm just thinking of it. How he wore that, like, vampire cape and the top hat mm-hmm. where it looked like he was going to a costume party, but right. he wasn't. He wore it again with Linda. I don't know if yeah, you caught that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. twice. He's, like, playing rich. And it, it sucked twice <laughs> <laughs> there is a, a photo of him in real life with linda and he's got like this top hat cape on <laughs> so i think like they must have seen that and be like god we gotta we gotta put this guy in this as much as we can that's very nouveau riche that's like oh that's just how rich people dress like wealthy <laughs> aristocrats from 100 years i ago. just like the 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 money that these people had like blew my mind where I'm like, wait, like alimony, sixteen grand. Like, how much are you making a month, my dude? And then he bought her that like house in like Cal. I forgot like where they're from, but it's like some like S- San Diego suburb or something. Mm-hmm. She had this huge house. He had an even bigger house, and like the cars and the kids. And I'm like, oh my god, like this is just too much money for me to comprehend. Like how people spend it. It was just blowing my mind. I'm thinking of like all the things she does that are terrible too. Like, uh, I, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is when she drives that Jeep or whatever through the living room yes. and she rightfully gets arrested for doing that. As she's being dragged away, she's like, See, kids, women aren't free in America. <laughs> <laughs> Great line. And then also when she breaks in and starts ripping open all the Christmas gifts. Yeah. It really upsets her daughter. <laughs> oh, man. I just love so much when she makes her kids cry <laughs> that's a big mommy dearest connection there too was mommy dearest on lifetime a lot it seems like it would have fit right in probably like every year on mother's yeah. day <laughs> i feel like mommy dearest and like flowers in the attic were the mm. big hollywood movies that would make their rounds on lifetime honorary inductees mm-hmm. to the lifetime canon yeah i remember watching like flowers in the attic a lot around easter and then they made their own Flowers in the Attic movies. And yeah. Made a whole and it was round okay. Of them. And Petals in the Wind. Yeah. They were okay. Eh. Well, I'd like to watch more. You know, sometimes we just like pick from a list. Like we'll like Google like 100 best lifetime movies and like randomly Ooh, pick four. Yeah. 
basically make James and Hannah do this with us next time. Is basically what I'm. And suggesting. then we can watch all four, like right. four of them. Right, exactly. Done. Um, get a wider breadth. I can watch these like so easily. Like it's so effortless to throw one of these on and just like indulge. Right. Like I said, I feel like I could have done my laundry and not missed much. I was like taking notes and intently watching the screen. I was like. You know, the next 10 minutes, she's not going to pull another prank uh, until this, like, ratchets up again. I could probably miss a little bit of this. (laughs) But uh, I stuck it out. It was definitely rewarding, especially the first one. The second one was a little bit of a... I forgot to mention, too. Like, did you... (laughs) Did you notice that she actually had a boyfriend? (laughs) Yeah, he was just around. (laughs) Just hanging around. Um, I thought that was very funny. I forgot to mention she that. She has needs, Brittany. She's a real adult woman. <laughs> She's a real woman in America. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where women aren't free, apparently. <laughs> well, next week on the show, um, I should have a guest on to talk about the movies we watched at New Orleans Film Fest. Ooh. Should be joined by Bill Arsenault, who um, is a local writer about town. He's a... Uh, oh my God, a special guest. He's one of the few professional film critics that I know, like as in he gets paid to write movie reviews. Uh <laughs> Movie Going with Bill is his, like, newsletter he sends out. And I think BillArsenault.com is, like, his hub for all of his writing. I think he's covering the film fest for Bayou Brief, too. Anyway, we both went to New Orleans Film Fest separately this year, and Cece did not join me. She's my normal film fest-like co-host. Uh, so I had to reach out outside the Swamp Flex parameters, and uh, Bill was very gracious with Pulling his time. Pulling Bill into the swamp? Yes. Uh, yeah, dragging him in like a gator into the, yes. the den. Yes. <laughs> so that should be the next episode. And then... Next time you and I talk should be us talking about um, Almodovar and um, like biopics for directors and stuff. Yes. So like uh, like autobiographical biopics. Um, so like good stuff. We're getting into some prestige shit soon. Like this is a uh, this lifetime indulgence. I feel like it's coming at the end of a lot of yeah. trash. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna throw it right back at my turn. Though. I think we, I'll bring us right we back. We can't do it for very long. Like. <laughs> The lifetime area is our oxygen. Like, we need that. Uh, we're, like, pretending to swim in other waters when we uh, do the prestige films. Right. And in the meantime, check out SwampFlix.com. I mean, I'm doing a lot of reviews of me trying to bulk up my best of the year list right now. So there should be some good movies mixed in there. Yeah. I've been keeping my eye out for those because, like, it usually helps guide my, my choices because I don't have a lot of time to catch up. So I want to make sure it's good shit. I will say Pig with Nicolas Cage just hit Hulu. I saw that. Yep. should yeah. watch that. Good stuff. I'm ready. That's my recommendation. One more after a long list of them anyway. <laughs> uh, all right. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.
Toro! 